Hey there, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, yummy, this one. You are in for such a treat. Before I get started, two documentaries I want to recommend to you that we touch on a little bit in this interview. The first is the Fred Rogers documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? I'm pretty sure you can find it on Netflix. I know you can watch it on Watch Now from YouTube. I'm sure it's on Netflix too. And then the second one is called The Social Dilemma. And that one is on Netflix. These are two documentaries you must watch because we can't just keep saying, oh, the world is horrible right now. Social media is the devil. Our kids are hurting. People are stressed out. We can't just keep saying this and going, well, what can we do? We actually have to do something about it. And these two documentaries will remind you that one person can really make a huge difference. I have one of those people here with us today. His name is Brad Montague. And I certainly hope he doesn't take offense to this. I even told him this in the interview. I just feel like he is the modern day Fred Rogers, but for adults. Do you remember how Mr. Rogers made you feel? And if you're too young to know who he is or to have experienced his programs, man, you missed out. But I always wish we had somebody who could make us feel that way as adults. It is Brad Montague. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's an award-winning director, and he is the creator of a series called Kid President. You might have seen it on YouTube. His work has gained over 800 million views, and it captured the attention of people like Tom Hanks, Beyonce, even President Obama. Now, his new book is called Becoming Better Grownups, and I was super excited to get my hands on this book, started reading it just at about the same time the pandemic or the coronavirus hit the world. And it is a book about how to be more childlike. I thought it was going to be a book about parenting, but as I started reading the pages, I'm like, this is the kind of book that's going to help everybody. And that's how I would describe this interview today. Lifers, I am so grateful, so excited to be able to share this with you. So, Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk about so many things that have, like the way I had planned on us having this discussion and bringing you to the audience has really changed because the world has changed. I guess my first question I would ask is, what problem is it that you solve for the world? You start with the biggest of the big. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's... The hope always that somehow we're all being of use and to realize that you already are being of use in some way that you don't think is remarkable because you've been doing it all along. At least that was what it was for me. I didn't realize that encouraging people and telling stories and loving the people around me was such a big deal, but it's the biggest deal. So the problem I'm trying to solve is to constantly love better and invite other people to love better too. The thing I've learned the most, I think, in listening to so many interviews with you and reading your book is I never hear you mention money. I never hear you mention <laughs> how is this going to turn into a business. And that's something I want to learn to do better. I believe I follow my passion and my purpose, but I do also always think to myself, okay, but is this going to be worth it financially? Like, is it going to be worth my time financially? And I just never hear that from any of the endeavors I know you've pursued, and we're going to get into some of those. But for example, when I hear you say something like that, and our listeners are hearing you say something like that, they think, that's great, but <laughs> I just lost my job. And yeah. I don't know if this industry is going to come back. I want to love and I want to show up in that way, but I also have to focus on keeping a roof over my head. How do you balance those two? And, and do you think about it or is it just an abundance mindset? I think it starts with wherever you are. So whatever job you have becomes a space to love people better, wherever mm -hmm. that is. I've worked plenty of jobs where the lesson I learned was, I'm not good at that. <laughs> like I'm not supposed to be doing this right now. But in that space, it wasn't a wasted time. I learned how to communicate. I learned how to work with people who were 
greatly different from me. I, you know, you pick up things along the way. And the moment for us all is the moment that we're in. It's the moment that we're in and how can I bring my best self to this moment? Or what do I have to learn in this moment? What do I have to share in this moment? And when you shift to that, you start to realize you always have something to offer. And the world around you has something to offer as well. It's a constant opportunity to love. And it ignites something in you Mm -hmm. where I definitely have been finding in myself and in people that are in my immediate orbit that the more that you kind of focus on how you can operate from a mindset of not, I'm going to do this for love. I want people to love me. I want attention. Mm -hmm. I want applause. We operate sometimes wanting to be loved when the best work comes when you operate from love. Like Mm. we do things, we do work for satisfaction sometimes. Like, oh, if I do this, it's going to make me happy. Yeah. When you're with somebody who works from satisfaction, like they already are at peace and are so grateful to be where they are. There's just a freedom. It's dazzling. Like I've experienced that with a woman who worked, I live in a really small town and a woman who worked at the post office and it was like watching Michael Jordan play basketball, like seeing her just love people. Wow. She was taking packages and mail and there were long lines, but she knew my kids' names. She knew everything about people in the community, where packages were going, where they might be headed, where we've had problems. And when we threw a parade for her, <laughs> which was my way of showing love, we got a bunch of kids to line up and just surprise the post office one day. And he, was it her birthday or did you just do No, no, no. no we, just, we just said, you know what? Let's throw a parade. <laughs> and I'm in a marching band outfit, oh. an ill-fitting marching band outfit at that. <laughs> and we go in and I say, okay, Dana, come on out. It's time for your parade. Everybody's here to celebrate you. And she was, you know, very grateful. But she said, but I have work to do. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> and I just thought that was so great. Like, yeah, thank you. I'm so honored you would do this, but I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm happy behind this counter, just loving the people that show up. When I listen to you speak and listen to the way you soak in the world and the way you listen, I'm inspired to be like that. I'm really inspired by your personality and your persona and your presence. Do you have that naturally or do you have to put boundaries in place for yourself? Do you have to remind yourself to think like that? Do you have to How much of this comes natural and how much of it is work that we need to do? Thank you for saying that. I I think it's a habit that I've wanted to live in. It's also sort of how I was wired early on, but forgot. Let's talk about that. (laughs) I remember some of my earliest memories. I grew up on a farm. Some of my earliest memories were just sitting and staring at grass and looking out windows and being with animals and being in nature, and feeling, lots of big feelings for a little person, and thinking that there's probably better things I could be doing, right? Like, I shouldn't be this upset over a pig dying. I shouldn't be up this hurt. But I've been growing to learn that that sensitivity, even though I'm a male, that's a superpower. That's a gift to, to be able to feel and to hold on to that. And so... Like, I think Walt Whitman said something like, habit yourself to the dazzle of the light. (laughs) Like, that is such a beautiful way of being, to just, it's a habit to be dazzled. Have you read the children's book, Ferdinand the Bull? Oh, I loved that as a kid. Loved, loved, loved that. The way you just described yourself, that's who came to mind for me as (laughs) Ferdinand. (laughs) Yeah, that story is just so full of wisdom of everyone telling him this is how you should be and and him showing them how they all maybe could be. A really beautiful story. So how much of your book, How to Be Better Grownups, did you write with the intention of helping grownups create better grownups? Like how much of it did you write so that we could be better parents and better Mm -hmm. adults to children? The thing that that just... I love that, that where I come to life is writing, telling, sharing stories, especially when it's in a room full of people. 
And so I loved visiting classrooms where you can do that, where you can tell a big story about birds or magic or something, and yet it has a deeper truth for what it means for how we show up for each other right now. Like okay. next, like whether it be in their classroom or wherever. And I was doing that and just coming to life being with kids. But I kept having this experience over and over when I would speak with kids or their teachers, where they would open up about sort of how they were feeling or ideas they had or what they thought about how the world should be. Flip this switch in me and realizing that I want to make things for kids, but if I want to create a better world for kids, it's got to start with better grownups. Mm. <laughs> like, like I need to talk to their parents. Like I need to be able to spend time with myself and become a better grown-up myself and connect with all of the educators who are already doing remarkable work, all of the parents who are already showing up, all the pediatricians, anybody who does anything for kids and just say, hey, this is really vital work. Like what you are doing matters to such a degree that, that we've got to band together. The urgency of needing to do that took precedence over writing and releasing more kids' books. Wow. And, you know, it's funny. It's not something that people are Google searching. I'm not searching how to be a better grown-up. I'm not, you, you know, it's one of those things that people think they're already really good at. And I also think it's very interesting that so much of this topic has really become more important than ever because of the pandemic, because we're more stressed out. We're more distracted, even though people mm -hmm. are home with their children. A lot of people are and even homeschooling, but they're homeschooling in such a way where there's just, there's not that connection. How do you create a sense of wondery, a Zoom? Tell me, you know. <laughs> That's a great you know, question. Yeah. Right. So, so I know we have so many educators and parents listening who want to be better grownups to their little people. And in this very specific moment where we are home, there's a lot of uncertainty. We are wrapped up in our own problems, our own stress, our own, I guess you could say, just grieving what we had and wondering what the future looks like. What advice do you have for grownups? how they can be better in this environment? Well, I always had this idea of what parenting would be like that, you know, I wanted to throw the best birthday parties, like go on the best vacations, like do all yeah. the big cool stuff and have just wow my kids in that way. And the more I investigated, like spending time with third, fourth and fifth graders all over the country, every state, and asking the question, you know, tell me about a great grown-up in your life, or tell me about somebody who, who you really love and who you respect. And it was never a big story. It was always the smallest thing. They would tell me about just a grown-up who shows up over and over. Like just somebody they can count on. Mm. That the biggest thing you can do is show up for a little person. Like mm. that's the biggest thing. And it flipped the switch in my brain of no longer wanting to throw a big party for my kids, but instead to just constantly be present in a meaningful way and always reminding myself the most important thing I'm probably going to do today is tie my daughter's shoe. Like wow. that, that that moment over time is what's going to tell her she has value. And that's so small. It's such a small part of the day, but that's a big part of her life. So for all of us, we can get distracted by the weight of the moment we're in, of the stress of navigating virtual school and cancel pageants and parties. Mm -hmm. But the moment right now is doing what every moment's always called us to, and that's to show up for each other. And right now it looks a lot different than it ever has because our teachers are being asked to show up on a computer. Yeah. And our kids, you know, they're showing up for their friends on a screen. I've really been inspired recently by something that Fred Rogers talked about when he was doing his TV show and he did this children's show over and over and over. And when he talked about it, he never talked about it like it was just a show. It was a ministry. It was this act of service, this mm -hmm. massive gift of love that he wanted to give. 
And he would always talk about the sacred space between two people that anytime someone's communicating, anytime two people are communicating, there's hallowed ground between them. And sometimes that space is face to face. Sometimes it's a screen and a couch, but there's yeah. a space between people when they connect. And I know you've probably experienced this, you know, oh, yeah. in, in your communication podcasts and yeah. Instagram oh. and all of the things you make, you, you realize you put out these little ships, these little uh, messages in a bottle or whatever. Yeah. There's something special about the way we can connect with each other, even if it's not face-to-face. It's interesting how much of that is about returning to our childhood. And I've heard you talk about how when you interview people Mm. and they speak of their childhood, that you see the shift happen and their eyes sparkle and they... And when I heard that story, the same day that I was reading about that, I got a book in the mail from one of my students, and the book opens with her talking about her childhood. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is not the kind of childhood that would make your eyes sparkle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so many people have experienced a traumatic childhood, mm-hmm. something that required incredible resilience. What do you say to the person who's like, I don't want to think back on my childhood. It was pretty, how does that Mm -hmm. person tap into that wondery and the thing that they were robbed of maybe to be a better adult? It always takes courage to face those things that we're still healing from. Mm -hmm. And yet that's exactly the thing that that we're supposed to, to chase after that. The treasure in stories is always behind the scariest dragon. It's always in the darkest cave. It's always in the place the hero doesn't want to go. But yet that's where the healing is. And and I think that we can't bring peace to the world if we don't have it ourselves. We can't bring love and wonder and joy to the world if we don't have it ourselves. And there's something really cool that happens when you talk about any origin story. Like if, let's say you have a business and you've done really well, but suddenly it's plateaued or you're kind of burnt out. Whenever like people start to talk about, well, when we first started this, you know, <laughs> they talk about the place where there was a garage or like just a legal notepad or they wrote an idea down or it's just, you know, just us. Or you watch a documentary about a band and they're old and they're just going <laughs> like, our first album was great. They start like really reconnecting to the earliest moment, that seed of inspiration that, that started it all. And it rejuvenates them. It kind of reminds them, this is why we started this journey in the first place. And for any person, when you start talking about childhood, who was the teacher that meant the most to you? Or who was the adult that looked you in the eyes and let you know you mattered? It brings you back to an innocent place where your truest self was first, like you saw a little spark of it, or you first remembered like, oh, this is what life could be. But there's also that question of, I always put this challenge of be who you needed when you were younger. Be who you needed when you were younger. What do you mean by that? This thing that somebody showed up and helped you discover what you were capable of, or someone who should have showed up Mm. and told you who you were capable of being. That leads you to a purpose. That leads you to really thinking of this is something that is a vital part of my journey. That I had somebody who reminded me that, like I had a teacher who told me, you're really creative. And she would let me draw on the backs of tests and let me finish things early and tell stories to the class. And that was a huge moment for me. You know, there's other people who will say they had people who looked at them and told them they were gifted in many different ways. And then you have other people who were robbed of that. And you now have a choice to either react to that or be a reflection of what you want to see, to bring something beautiful to the moment you're in now and say, I'm not going to let any kid who's in my orbit, whether I'm a parent or an aunt or an uncle or just a really cool neighbor, every kid I see is going to know they matter. And that was a commitment I had to make like of, okay, now every kid I see, they're going to 
get presents. <laughs> Which isn't easy to do when you're a, you know, an older man approaching people's children to <laughs> compliment them. You know, you got to be a little careful with these things. But all joking aside, I love that story about your fourth grade teacher. And when I read it, I remember thinking this probably had, and I don't know, but I have to assume it had such a profound impact on your confidence Mm-hmm. and your belief in yourself, and you were in fourth grade. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, too. Can that you share that, with people a little bit more detail about what she did with your drawings? They weren't anything special. Like, I don't think that I didn't have artistic skill, but I had, I guess, <laughs> a lot of heart. And she just said, we're going to send these to Walt Disney's feature animation and helped package my art up. And letters I had written, like stories I had written, comics. I had some cassette tapes of me, like, like pitching projects and stuff. And she packaged it up and, and sent it. And they wrote a letter back. And, you know, it essentially said they can't accept submissions for legal reasons. Cease and desist. <laughs> yeah. Fourth, fourth yeah. grader. <laughs> but then it said, thank you for sharing your voice. Like there was this little handwritten piece. And you know, I didn't care that they didn't give me, I just, I got noticed, like they saw me. And that was almost exactly the lesson my teacher wanted me to get. And looking back too, she just retired this past year. And I think that that's something she did for every kid in some way, you know, not mailing packages to Disney, but saying, Hey, this kid just needs to be seen in some sort of meaningful way. I'm going to do that. How do you do that with your own kids and not give them a false sense, or maybe it's a good thing, a false sense that they are these amazing creatures, or or is that what we should be doing? Well, you know, like right now, we're in a world where our shared sense of common good is being challenged. There's divisiveness on all sides. There's Mm. this instinct that people were being pushed to marginalize one another And the greatest thing we could do right now is to humanize, not to marginalize, but to humanize each other. And one of the great gifts we all have is to look at each other and say, I'm glad you're here Mm. and mean it. That's one of the best things you could say to a person (laughs) and to mean it. And when I say that to my kids, they know at the deepest level, I mean every bit of that. I am so glad you are here on this planet at the same time as me. And I want them to see me and their mom and us as a family say that to every person around us and mean it. And so the more that they see that, they see that I'm not saying you're exceptional. I'm saying every single person is a life of consequence and is worthy of our attention and our astonishment. (laughs) Like that's the common good being challenged in life, like, isn't it? It would be different if we all could humanize the person next to us. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Today's show sponsor is My Soul CBD, and I did it. I finally put myself on a monthly subscription for their dream capsules because the whole family fights over them, number one. And I don't know what it is. I just get such deep, incredible sleep when I take. The Dream Capsules, they're a combination of CBD and melatonin, and I have these crazy vivid dreams that tells me I'm getting into that really deep REM sleep. I sleep much more soundly. I don't wake up in the middle of the night, but they don't make me groggy at all because it's melatonin, which your body should produce naturally, but most of us are not. So I highly recommend the Dream Capsules. We all love the gummies. I love the droppers. I like the droppers because they have just a very, very subtle taste or flavor to them, which you can barely taste if you put it under your tongue. But what's nice about them is I can add them to my water and it doesn't change the flavor of my water. Now, I did my research and investigated a CBD product before bringing it to you. I looked for a company that was doing triple lab testing, a company that was being manufactured here in the United States, and a company that was 100% organic, and most importantly, one that had zero THC. Because some of you get drug tested. Some of you were worried about the hallucinogenic effects of THC. 
Oh my gosh, I forgot. Also, Brett swears by, now I haven't used it myself, but he swears by their pain relief cream. He puts it on every single morning. It's got like kind of a little bit of a minty scent to it, so I can always tell. But it smells delicious. Now, you can try My Soul CBD for 20% off when you use the code SHALENE. All you do is go to mysoulcbd.com, and when you enter Shaleen at checkout, you will get 20% off. Now, I should mention that you do not get the 20% off in your checkout if you have a subscription in your cart, so just keep that in mind because they give you a big discount when you do the subscription anyway, so just want to keep you aware. Anyways, you go to mysoulcbd.com, enter the code Shaleen as you check out, and you'll get 20% off. All right, let's get back to the show. A big piece of your story revolves around this video series that went insanely viral. And I wondered how you today view social media as either being helpful or hurtful when it comes to us being better people. Mm -hmm. That is something that hurts me and I worry about and I have seen so much good that can happen because of our connectedness online. Mm -hmm. But I'm troubled by what it means for children, for what it means for us as former children, for the false way in which it makes us feel as though we're connected. When we're really missing out on loving the people in our own communities, seeing the humanity of the people in our own communities, and growing so distant from our purpose for even being here together. I feel your heart is very heavy. Have you seen the documentary just came out? So anyone who's listening to, I highly, highly recommend this. And I'm pretty sure it's family appropriate. It's called The Social Dilemma. I made it to the halfway mark where they Mm. start talking about middle schoolers. And I just, I needed a breather. Because it articulates so much of what I've seen and felt and troubled by, yeah. I will finish it in time, but my heart couldn't take much more. There wasn't any language in it, was there? No, I would encourage any person anywhere that has not given up their phone or computer to watch it and allow it to make them rethink and reimagine how we show up online. I think that's the challenge right now is we need desperately to not just be disenchanted with social media. Like, okay, we need a moment where we can mourn how hard it is and all of the terrible things that have come from how it's impacting us inside our hearts and souls, like it's draining life out of us. Right. But we cannot just stay at being disenchanted with it. We need- to reimagine what we can do with it and what we're going to do about it so that Mm. there can be a (laughs) re-enchantment. This moment where we're not just blindly saying, okay, yay, internet, let's connect, but to suddenly say, okay, here is this incredible resource. There is a world of incredible people. There's so much hurt, but what could we do to bring healing? What could we do to not feed a dumpster fire, but to tend a garden? And when more people do that, it will become a place where we have a healthy relationship, not just with social media, but with ourselves. A re-enchantment of it all is what it would take. You know, so I wondered how that experience impacted you, the experience of going viral. And for those of you who haven't seen the series, if I'm not mistaken, it was your nephew who starred in that series, right? My little brother-in-law. Oh, uh, your little so brother-in-law. Okay. We live across the street from each other. I had started a summer camp that was for kids who want to change the world. And as part of that, we created videos. And I just thought, you know what would be really incredible? Because I've been spending time with all of these kids who were doing service projects in their communities. They saw needs and they would meet them. People need to hear these stories. They need to listen to this voice of kids. It just, it would change things. Right. So I put him in his Easter suit and put him behind <laughs> a, a record player. And I would write these scripts that had a focus of something we want to share with the world. And then we would just play and I would edit them together to be 
a little burst of encouragement. And it taught me a lot about how the internet works and how it doesn't work properly. And Mm -hmm. it was fascinating to be on the receiving end of so many incoming transmissions of people seeing a thing you've made. And I mean, it ended up on news shows. You ended up at the White House. The news, yeah. But early on, when it was just on the news, like we were on a morning show and none of the newscasters had seen it. (laughs) They were just like, okay, so what's this about? Yeah, right. Oh, (laughs) gosh. And so, like, it taught me so much. Oh, you're just receiving this and share it. And there was no thought to it. It was just, oh, this is the thing that's big. Let's put it on TV. And then as things go viral, you have people just receiving these video coming out and you have no control over how it's framed or how it's presented. So some people would present it as some sort of political message or, hey, this kid made a video, which was not what it was. And it gets so far away from how you originally intended it to be. And at the time you created it, you weren't a parent, if I'm not mistaken. Is that true? I became a dad right as right before the pep talk went viral. So we, okay. we had created about 18 videos or so. And then my son was just a few months old and I posted a, a video on a Thursday. And then by that Sunday, it had like 4 million views and became a runaway train. Wow. Was there a, a part of you that was looking at what was happening and realizing like, wait a second, this isn't going to be good for this kid. Or the reason why I originally did this is being misinterpreted or it it started turning into something that it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, that weekend after it was on every blog, on everything, I went to my office, shut the blinds, turned off the lights and just was paralyzed. And my inbox was too full to, for any human to process. My phone number had leaked, so people were calling. It was bonkers. What was the thought? I've had that moment too, when mm -hmm. I should have felt the opposite, or people think you're doing the opposite. You're, you finally got that viral video. People think Brad, you're at home popping a bottle of champagne and Mm -hmm. you know getting an agent. And I, I've had that moment too, where I just felt like vomiting and had the opposite experience of what I thought I would feel. Do you remember what your thought was like? What was your belief that made you feel so down? It was clear to me that so many people were misunderstanding what it was, even though it was going viral for positive reasons. It wasn't like people were making fun of it or laughing at it. Sure. But there was this misunderstanding and everybody wanted to make my little brother-in-law into a child star. And wanting him to like be in a horror movie and to promote an energy drink. And it was all of these people wanting things from us. And suddenly, all the incoming transmissions were we want this, we want this, we want to use this for this, we want him to be in this. Mm. And it was really hard to process that many people wanting something from somebody you love. I mean, I turned into Papa Bear and was just like, okay, shut it down. This isn't fun anymore. This wasn't why we started it. This was, had pure instincts. It was pure motives from the start. And everybody wanted to use it to sell things. And mm. my wife- What did it say about you mom, in that moment? Like, what were you telling yourself about yourself in that moment? What was your story? Well, for one, I was definitely in new territory, parts unknown. It was a foggy time. I couldn't see around me. So I didn't know where was up, where was down, who to believe, like what to hold on to. My family, my wife, specifically my in-laws too, Robbie's parents, they could see me shutting down. And Mm -hmm. their question was, what story do we want to tell? Like, where do you want to go? Like, you guys started this because you love being together Mm. and you love encouraging people. This is a continuation of work you are already doing with young people. So what do you want to do? And that like freed me up to suddenly stop saying, oh, here's what everybody wants us to do, or here's what this 
and instead go, here's the map, here's where we want to go. What we say yes to and what we say no to will inform the direction. What did you learn about achieving? I mean, I'm thinking about myself and setting a huge goal, accomplishing it, getting there and realizing it was this horrible feeling because I had personally have since learned that I was setting it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And also that I didn't think about what it would feel like to be there. And so for me, I'll just share my own experience. I learned that from now on, when I would set goals, I would ask myself, what is it I want to feel? Not what is it do I want to have? Not mm-hmm. what do I want to accomplish? What, not what do I want to acquire? But what do I want to feel? Yeah. I haven't felt that way since that moment. But what did you learn that you do differently now when you have a goal? Well, I've had to be careful. Like uh, For a long time, I've been afraid to set goals. Because I did, and they came true. Like, it happened. And I mean, really, I had a list of people I wanted to work with, and with the exception of a few who happened to pass away, it happened. And it it spooked me a little, because you're going, I just wrote Beyonce down on this sheet of paper. (laughs) Is the sheet of paper magic? Is the pen? Is it the time of day in which I wrote it? Like, what, what did I do right can um, I repeat this? Is that the fear is like, you know, was there a little bit of imposter syndrome? Like, I, I'm not sure how I ended up here. And can I do this again? Or was this magic? Yeah, well, the, then there's also that thing which became really clear is that a lot of the people who loved it didn't love me. They didn't mm-hmm. love my thumbprints on it. It wasn't like they saw me in the same way my wife sees me, my kids see me, my friends, my family. They saw a product and wanted it and wanted something from it. They wanted social currency because they shared it or took a photo with the kid who's in the video or whatever. And that was so shallow and so empty. And so it made me then break out of the fog, stop feeling like the little mouse that I felt like and feel like I always do have something to offer. There is pressure still where I will be in meetings and someone will want me (laughs) just to deliver something I made five years ago when I have so much more that I want to say and share. And I have to ensure that I am operating not for their love, but from a deep well of love. (laughs) I want to present a gift to you and accept if you respond to it with glowing reviews or with meh, I'm going to be okay with that. I just wanted to share it. You do such a great job in your book of explaining and kind of breaking down this belief that so many of us have that why we're here is supposed to be huge. Like we really don't matter unless we solve cancer or we're a Kardashian or we are able to impact a lot of people. And I love how you, you really make it very clear that We have to keep making things. And that's what's magical about our life is that we're just this collection of very small little things. That's what adds the piece to this huge puzzle. And if you're not adding all those little things, that's what makes the piece. It's not like this one spectacular moment. And you share the story about, I would summarize it as the power of a feather Mm. in changing the trajectory of something. Can you elaborate on that for us? I'm happy to, because I need this story today. I had written on a list, you know, that same list of really wanting to meet people and work with yeah. people. I wanted to meet so badly an astronaut, just somebody who'd been to space. Just, just want to shake an astronaut's hand. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and we got to talk to Commander Ron Garan. He's worked on the space station. and He's been on a couple of missions to space and just a brilliant guy. And he's talking about, you know, what it's like to be in space. And, and I'm asking him, you know, about aliens <laughs> in the future. And I just asked him this question, just, you know, every movie that's about the future is dark. And, you know, what do you think? Is that where we're headed? And I didn't know what kind of response he would give, but his response was so helpful and so telling. He said, well, I'm going to tell you a story and it's a true story. And it's this, that let's say 
that an asteroid was headed towards our planet, certain destruction, everyone on this planet that you love and know is going to die if it hits our planet. NASA would not need too much notice, but just a little foreknowledge. They would send a small aircraft, small spacecraft, no bigger than a Ford Taurus, which was really specific. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it'll like blow this asteroid up or they'll do something. And his response was, no, it would just no stronger than a feather, just a little nudge from a feather would completely alter the trajectory of that asteroid, saving every person on Earth. And he's like, I tell you that story and I tell every person that story that wants or feels like they can't create a better tomorrow or can't Mm -hmm. impact things that literally what changes things are little nudges. Mm. (laughs) Everybody thinks it's these big things, but it's little nudges. And I have to be reminded of that. Mm. Like I've told that story over and over since hearing it. I will take bags of feathers to classrooms (laughs) and hand them to kids and tell them. But that's because I need that reminder that at the end of the day, I can ask, were there little nudges? Did I at least make things better just by a hair? Yeah. Not by brute force or showing up and being the loudest in the room, but maybe was the gentlest thing that changed things. When I think about, I don't remember what story, whether it was a podcast interview I listened to with you or a, a part of the book, but I just remember my brain started thinking about friends who have children. And they're in a season of their lives where it's it's just pretty miserable. Like they're mm. going through a divorce and lost a job and money's tight and now they're losing their, like just really pretty horrible. And I, I know that the way they're surviving right now, probably from the kid's perspective, looks like, I don't want to be an adult. <laughs> this looks horrible. Like what's inspirational about growing up to have so much responsibility and sadness and turmoil What do we need to keep in mind when we have children and we are going through tough times? Because we are going to go through those. And I I don't know that we necessarily want to shelter our kids from that. But like, how do we need to show up so our kids are excited to be adults? You know, we know the suicide rate amongst teens and adolescents right now is ridiculously high. And I think that some of that has to do with how stressed out adults are. Absolutely. Yeah. The... The wrong way forward would be to act like everything's fine and shield them from the challenging things. I believe that fully. I have seen that some of the greatest teachers in classrooms and out of classrooms, parents and grandparents and aunts, are those people who show up. We learn the best and grow the greatest in relationships. And when you have Someone who will show up and right now, what every kid needs is an adult they can count on Mm. who will openly say, this is not what I want for your birthday right now. This is not what I want for this world right now, but I'm here with you. I don't have all the answers. I don't know, but one thing you can know is I'm right here with you, and we're going to do what we can for each other right here. That is a starting place. It's huge to admit and be vulnerable and say, I don't know, to express sadness about the situation, to allow them to do both of those things, but then not put the focus on making ourselves better off, but instead making things better for each Mm. other. Mm. Like that is, we put pressure on kids to do really well or be exceptional because you're going to become better off. But no, it's about us all becoming better for each other. Yeah. My close friend is a psychologist and she says that there's two things that adults come in wishing that they had heard as children. And the two phrases are, they wish someone would have just wrapped their arms around them and said, everything's going to be okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not everything's going to turn out as you want. Not everything's going to go back the way you wish it were, but everything's going to be okay. And yeah. sometimes that means it's horrible, but it's going to be okay. And, and then the second phrase is just 
I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And both of those are things that speak to us wanting to be seen, mm. have our hurts seen and our, our goodness acknowledged. Both of those speak to just wanting affirmation that things are going to be okay and we're okay. It seems so small, but that's that gentle nudge that, that changes everything. With the hundreds and hundreds of kids that you've been able to listen to and let them just talk. I mean, I love the stories of you like putting tape over your mouth and letting kids just be seen and be heard. What would you say are the common themes that if, you know, and I, I know you've said this, that children would look at you like, you know, we've told you this, now do something with it. You're not going to let us down, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. here's your opportunity, Brad. What is it they want us to hear? Yeah, well, anytime you, you have the chance to spend time with kids, you should really ask them questions, not just like so that they'll get it, they'll like pass a test, but so that you can learn something because it will remind you of what's important because, <laughs> you know, they don't care about what age you are. We always ask kids, how old are you? Like that they kind of care because it- They want to be older. They're, they're bigger, <laughs> you know, whatever. But the, what's most interesting to them is, oh, what do you love? Like, what do you, what do you uh -huh. like? Do you like this? Do you, have you seen this? Do you care about this? And there's this playfulness that this, that just breaks you out of everything you were worried about Whenever, like this is a tin can with string, and whenever you communicate through a tin can with a uh, string and you're playing. Wait, I have to know why that's on your desk. Oh, always. Is that you how you talk to, to your wife? <laughs> yeah, you always have to string, can string. Oh my <laughs> God, I, I love it. On uh, Kid President, when we started interviewing celebrities, I found that when I would mail them a, a soup can with some string attached to it, and that's, you have to talk into it, it just, people changed. It was not like any other interview you ever had. There's this playfulness to it. And what every kid seemed to be wanting to do in every interaction was to just get away from all that stuff that, that is unimportant and for me to see and acknowledge the essentials, which is them and the moment and what can we do with it right here, right now. Mm. And what they were wanting for every adult was to just show up. And they don't have to be spectacular or be all fixed up or have your hair done right or whatever. Just show up and see them and, mm. and let them know it's okay. Like that, that was, they wanted, they would put in requests, you know, for like grownups. When I would ask them, you know, you have a message to send to grownups kids. What do you want to say? And they would put in requests, you know, about like, they would joke around about more desserts or more <laughs> ice cream or, or stuff like that. But then it was really just them playing around because then it would just get to, I don't know, I just really want us to play games or want us to wow. eat together. So simple. It's so, it's simple. so simple. Yeah. And yet the most important things are the, the simplest, I think. What did you learn from your parents that you know had a positive impact on you that you'll do now as a parent? <laughs> I got to learn alongside them that a lot of parenting on TV or wherever it's a lot of times lectures and that yeah. sort of thing. But my dad's a farmer and my mom's a nurse. And, you know, I worked in the fields in the summer with him and he didn't, tell me to care for the land or care for the animals. He did it with me. He showed me, he didn't, you know, same with my mom. She didn't just say, you should be nice to people. Instead, she's like, Hey, we've got extra Turkey. We're going to take this around on Thanksgiving day. Mm. You know, we're not going to just stay around in our house. We've got neighbors to check on. It was the things I learned that they didn't put into words, but they put into practice. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is pretty powerful and necessary. I think I, like you, hope that people won't just go, well, it's social media. What can we do about it? Because we <laughs> do have to do something about it. And it's hard to be present. It's hard to be all the things that a child should be, especially when we're giving our children this distraction, this thing mm -hmm. where they don't have to use their imagination and go outside and build things and tie a piece of string to a soup can and wonder if 
you know, how cool it is to carry sound through that piece of string. So I have to thank you for your heart. And I wonder what's next for you. There's obviously a very clear through line, you know, like you to me, give me such a, it's funny you should mention Fred Rogers. You give me such a Fred Rogers vibe. I love that Mm. man. I was Mm. so afraid when I saw there was a documentary on him. I'm like, oh no, does this mean there's something bad I'm going to have to learn about him? You know, because most documentaries, there's that part where you're like, oh no. But it wasn't. It was just like, oh, thank God he's the man I thought he was. Mm -hmm. And you really give me that vibe. I mean that in the most sincere, complimentary way. And I know that love is your through line. What's Mm. next for you? Like what's on your heart? I would love to know. I want to know what's next. I'm really excited because there's some things coming out soon, like some children's books that are going to be releasing soon and a new web series that is coming out through YouTube Kids. But coming in October is a new web series from YouTube Kids that excited about. And I am constantly uh, being reminded that there's good to do in the world. (laughs) And I want to be of use. And I don't always know the exacts of what that looks like, but I'm getting closer to it every day, I hope. I love it. I guess the world reveals that for you. And it's such a relief to I live my life that way when people say, what's next? I say, I don't know. Whatever whatever God puts in front of me, I'm I'm excited to Whatever I get through next, that will be what I'll share next. Yeah, you know, I envy those people who have five and 10-year plans that are so specific. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, that sounds, that's not interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I always want to like make plans and then add or something better. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, Brad, thank you so much. Where can we make sure that we don't miss what's next on YouTube and the releases of your children's books. Yeah. So Instagram at Brad Montague and wherever awesome stuff's happening. I I hope to be there. That's awesome. Thank you again for your time today. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. All right. Your homework assignment is to get a copy of Brad's book. Now, if you're like me, whenever I say I've read a book, I usually mean that I've listened to the audible with Brad's book, Becoming Better Grownups. I did both. I listened to the Audible, and I have a copy of the book. It's really one of those books you're going to want to refer back to. If you're not already an Audible subscriber, I've put a link in the beginning of my show notes. So just kind of swipe up on the show art for this podcast series, and you'll see there's a link right there. So you can get a free copy if it's your first time signing up with Audible of Brad's book, Becoming Better Grownups. If you're already an Audible member, just get the book. It's amazing. And your other two assignments were to watch the documentary, The Social Dilemma, and Won't You Be My Neighbor? Two great documentaries, both family, kid appropriate, good stuff, guys, stuff that's going to make your heart feel just a little bit bigger, help you bring your shoulders down, put a smile on your face, and feel good about society. Listen, I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon.